Well, welcome, everybody. So glad that you're with us. Merry Christmas season as well. Um, We are going to jump into our series. But first, let me thank all of you at Chase Oaks who've been involved in generosity in all kinds of ways, uh, including Toy Zone that's going on right now. Uh, It's really been amazing. And there's a whole lot of people. You can go online to find out what I'm talking about uh, from our family center who are you're spreading a lot of joy through your generosity. It's been astounding in this season. So thank you. Uh, just one of the reasons Chase Oakers are so awesome. So thanks for being who you are. Um, and speaking of joy, we're uh, in this series called Joyful Again. Because as we go through a year like 2020, right, it's pretty easy for joy to leak out. It's, it's a tough year. Um, kind of like this yard sign, Christmas yard sign um, that should say joy. Uh, the J fell over. Uh, because I think for a lot of us, this has been more of an oi year than a joy year, right? And you may be feeling that. If you're feeling more oi than joy, well, that's the whole point of this series is to say, hey, let's find the joy again, um, or maybe for the first time, that Jesus came to bring us. He came with good news of great joy. He came not to be a burden. He came to, get, to give us a joyful life. He told us that. In fact, the Bible says that that we can be joyful always, no matter what our circumstances. It's not about great circumstances. It's joy, no matter what the circumstances. And that's a profound kind of joy. And therefore, if that's the normal Christian life, whenever you and I find ourselves joyless or joy leaking out, it's like a little warning light going off to say, hey, what's wrong? What do I, what's robbing joy? What's stealing joy from me? Now, there's a lot of things that can steal joy for us in this series. We're looking at a few of them. Today, we're talking about religion. How religion will rob us of life, will rob us of joy. And and that Jesus did not come. The good news of great joy is not that he came to bring a new religion with all of its demands. He came to bring something else. And that may sound a little strange because you think, wait a minute, you're talking bad about religion and you're a church. You know, what's the deal? And um, and I, I get that. But Christianity is not about religion. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed how often, just as an example of that, the uh, I'll take the joy off there. How often the uh, the least joyful people that, you know, maybe as you think about people are actually the most religious. Have you ever noticed that? Like sometimes people who are like over religious uh, just take it a little too far, a little take themselves a little too seriously actually are the least joyless people on the planet. Um, When I was in uh, high school and college, uh, there was a lady named Miss Helen who I've talked about over the years. She was uh, 70s and 80s when in in those years. And and she's the one God used to really teach me uh, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and to grow a relationship with Jesus. And, And she was an amazing person. She Joy would have been the first thing you would have thought of. Jesus would have been like that, too. But she was contagiously joyful, Uh, so much so that she taught piano for two different colleges and as a a piano teacher, professor and students would take piano who didn't give a flip about piano. Um, They just wanted to be on the other side. They just wanted to be on the other side of the bench with her uh, just because that joy uh, would rub off. One of the colleges that she worked in was sort of in a is a Christian college. She had a normal college and a Christian college. And, and it was kind of a circle of Christians that were the religious, overly serious kind of thing with all of its, you know, demands and legalism and that kind of stuff. 
And they were a pretty uptight group of people. And so one time, one of the more uptight wings of that group asked her to come and as a piano person to play piano for their music uh, and lead music for this conference they were doing that started on the evening and then went for a couple days after that. And so she goes and she does her thing. And at the end of that, one of the organizers came up and said, um, Helen, that was wonderful, you know, all of that. But, uh, you know, we're not really as comfortable having a woman up front on the stage, uh, especially if you don't have a head covering. And that's a misunderstanding of a of a particular passage of scripture. And they said, you know, and, and we really want to be biblical and, and we need if you're going to do this tomorrow, we need you to wear a head covering. Now, some people would get really bent out of shape about that. Right. But she didn't. She just said, oh, so you're saying I can wear a hat. I love hats. That'd be fine. Hat would be fine. So she felt like they needed to lighten up a little bit. So she went out that night and she she already had a hat, but she made a hat. She took one hat and altered it. She bought an artificial daisy that was about one foot in circumference, about two and a half feet high. She stuck it on top of the hat, put it underneath the piano. So when she got up there to play piano and to start, she put on her hat. That daisy was flopping around and she was going like this, you know, with the music and every, people were laughing and all that. And, uh, and at the end of that, uh, one of the, the same organizer came up and said, you know, Helen, we've prayed about it and we've decided that you actually don't need to wear a head covering uh, to play piano on our stage. And she's like, oh, because I have another hat. She said, no, it's fine. Really, it's fine. Um, just because they needed to lighten up a little bit. Because uh, Jesus did not come to be a burden. He did not come. The good news of great joy that we celebrate at Christmas is not that Jesus came to bring another list of demands to make us acceptable to God. That's religion. Jesus came to bring something very, very different than that. And that's why when you when you look at Jesus, the people that he confronted were the religious people, the religious leaders. Like he said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, you crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Meaning your version of religion, your version of what it means to have a relationship with God, it's just a bunch of unbearable demands. You're making the bar so high, nobody can meet it, and it's just a burden. That is not why Jesus came. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus didn't come to increase our burden. He didn't come to bring a new religion. He came to save us from it. That Christianity is not, you know, religion is everything we do to try to earn God's favor or attain something, some status. That's actually not Christianity at all. Christianity can be explained in one word. And what we're talking about today is the most important thing and the most difficult thing to know about Christianity. And it's what makes it unique. Um, and, to, and to share that word, I'll let C, a guy named C.S. Lewis do that. Uh, you may have heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he wrote a bunch of other kind of books, too, that aren't fantasy kind of books. Um, he was a professor at the University of Oxford in England. So he's a smart guy, philosophy professor. And uh, one time at Oxford, there was this big symposium of people from religion professors from from America, like Harvard and Princeton and so on, came over as well as different European universities. 
And they were discussing, it was a comparative religions symposium, and they were discussing what makes Christianity unique among the religions of the world. Now, this had been going on for like two days, and they were very intricate, had all these, you know, very impressive, you know, speeches and stuff. And they asked C.S. Lewis, since he's right there at Oxford, hey, would you just stop by for a minute to do an interview from your perspective about what makes Christianity unique among the other religions of the world? And he said, sure. So he came and he said, and they said, well, you know, could you give us a speech? And he said, well, I'll give you one word. So what makes Christianity unique among the religions of the world is grace. It's an easy answer. And he walked off. And that was the end of the symposium because everybody's like, you're right. See, grace is about what God offers, what God has done. Religion is not that at all. Religion, no matter what religion it is, is about Uh, If you believe in a personal God, about us doing things, a performing way to earn God's favor, to earn heaven, to earn something. Or if you don't believe in a personal God, religions that don't, it's to attain some spiritual status or some spiritual level or some realm uh, that you, you know, to keep moving forward, not moving backwards. It's about our performance. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is about grace, not works. Another way to say it is that Christianity is not spelled D-O. It's not about what you and I do to earn God's favor or to stay in God's favor or to gain God's blessing or to keep God's blessing. It's not what you and I do. It's about what's already been done. Talking about what Jesus has done on the cross for you and me. That, that our relationship with God is not about us trying to be good enough for God or stay good enough for God. It's about the fact that it's by grace and therefore it's his favor that's unconditionally given as a gift. It's about grace. That's the good news of the gospel. You've heard, you know, probably the word gospel, right? Gospel music. Kanye just did a gospel uh, album. He also ran for president, which I, that's fine. Um, anybody can run for, I, I'm all for it. But uh, but gospel is not just music. Gospel is a Bible word that means good news. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of the good news is not a new list of demands to achieve God's. It's what God wants to give you and me as a gift and that we can live into, not just to become a Christian, but to live as a Christian. Now, this is so this, this is the most important thing to understand about Christianity, but it's also the most difficult. And so just to keep me focused, I'm going to quote myself here, which is weird, but I just want to stay focused. I'm ADD. And so I'm just going to read my own quote. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus wants us. Jesus wants us to give everything that's messed up. And once received, it can't be taken away because it is not conditioned on us. So he actually wants to give everything to us. That's what it should say. This is a hard reality to grasp because most of us are trying to gain what we already have. If we are doing well, then we feel secure and worthy of being blessed and loved. If we're doing poorly, then we feel insecure and unworthy. But the truth is, it's not about us. It's not about our performance. Because of the blood of Christ, his work on the cross, we are already worthy. Not because of us, but because of him. We are already qualified. We already made the grade. We have every bit of God's favor. In fact, there's nothing you and I can do to make God love you more or less. Because our relationship with God is not about our performance. It's about the grace of God. What he wants to give us so that rather than trying to earn what we already have, we can live in enjoyment of what we already have. 
Now, most of, most of the New Testament is about what I just said, because this is so hard to grasp. Um, because it's so counterintuitive. It's not fair. It doesn't make any sense. It, you know, how could it really be that way? There are whole books in the Bible, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, that are only about, just about this. Uh, whole sections of the rest of the New Testament about this. One of those passages is in Colossians. And it's an incredible little passage. And, and he says this, Paul says, giving joyful thanks. We're talking about joy, right? Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Now, he's talking about people who've begun a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And he says, we can give joyful thanks. We should live in joy because you and I have already been qualified to share in the inheritance of his holy people. Who are his holy people? Like, I'm not me. I'm not holy. The holy people are those who know Jesus. Not who are holy because of their own righteousness, because of their own work, because that's nobody. It's because of the work of Jesus that's applied, the righteousness of Jesus that's applied to our account. That's what qualifies us. That's the point of Colossians. That you and I have been pre-qualified. Not because of our credit. You know, like when you go to get a house, you have to get qualified for a loan. And, all, and you know, they're either like, uh-uh, or sure, based on your merits. In our case, spiritually, none of us have anything to offer. We're all just messed up, sinful people. We're all screw-ups. But Jesus has qualified you and me by his work on the cross. And the Bible says that when you and I begin a relationship with Jesus, his righteousness is applied to our account. And therefore, we are qualified before we do anything for God. Because our relationship with God is not about us. It's about him and about his work on the cross. Now, again, this is so hard to understand and so important to understand. This is the essence of Christianity. Um, that. It's abstract, right? So I want to make sure we really get this because there's nothing more important to get. And and I'll do that by sharing an illustration that I've used over the years of my teaching here four or five times. It may be my most used illustration, and I'll use it again. Just because for me, it just works. And it's about school. Now, some of you are students. You're in school. So you know about the pressure of school, right? You constantly have to measure up. You're constantly graded, right? And for those of us who are away from school, that school's a memory. Um, a lot of people, and, I, and, and for you students, I hate to tell you this, but, but you'll have bad dreams about school for the rest of your life. I mean, that, that's, that's like one of the most popular forms of bad dreams. Like some people have the dream where you, your teeth fall out. I don't know if anybody has that. I've never had that one. Um, but school bad dreams are just kind of curious through. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm 54 years old. And I know some of you are like, wow, I thought he was like 30. That's amazing. He's that old. And uh, okay, nobody's thinking that. But humor me anyway, just act like it. Um, So I'm 54 years old. And I still occasionally have dreams about being in school. Like, um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have had the dream where you're at school and you, you realize you're in your underwear, you know, and you're like, anybody have that dream here in the studio audience ever? Yes, no, I, yeah, okay. Um, or, uh, or you're at school and you didn't realize there was a test or you forgot to study for a test or whatever and you freak out. Or I still have this dream about graduate school that, that I'm supposed to graduate, but then I realize I forgot to go to a class or I forgot to sign up for a class and now I can't graduate and it's like, oh no, and this is terrible and I'm supposed to be graduating and I can't and all that. And I don't know what it is about school that just does a number on us, uh, but I think it's that conditionality, right? All the grades. So that's why um, I think this illustration is so great because it's a school illustration. 
And it's, a, it's about a, a real girl named Robin who uh, I heard her dad share the story. And uh, she was in high school. Uh, she was in English like you are, you know, like you do when you're in high school. And her teacher was the chairman of the English department in the high school. So she taught AP English, but she also taught a regular class. Uh, his daughter, Robin, was in a reg- the, her regular class. And uh, but she could tell right away that Robin was really gifted as a writer and a reader and would really do a whole lot better if she took the AP class, even though, you know, it's more challenging, but she would learn a lot more and do a lot better. And she thought she'd perfect for that. So she met with Robin and said, Robin, I know you're in this regular class, but I really want to transfer you into uh, one of my AP classes because you're just gifted this way. And I know you're going to do great. You're going to flourish. You're going to enjoy it. And she was like, okay, I'll do it. And, and then she gets in there the first day and she sees all that you're supposed to read and all that you're supposed to write. And it's so much more. And she starts freaking out. Oh no, I don't want to fail. I don't, you know, I, I, and so she met with the teacher at the end of that first day and said, um, I just can't do it. Can you just transfer me back into regular English? I don't want to fail. I'm too afraid. I just, I just want to be back in the regular thing. And the teacher said, well, Robin, what if I make a deal with you? Uh, what if I tell you right now, if you stay, if you choose to stay in the AP English class for the, the whole rest of the year, not just this semester, whole rest of the year, I'll give you an A right now. Meaning you've got an A if you stay in the class, no matter what you do, I'm still, I'm still going to ask you to do the work and do the reading and all that, but it, but you'll get an A no matter what you do, you'll get an A. Would you stay in the class if you knew you have an A? Well, she's no dummy. She's like, yeah, I do that. And she stayed in the class. And you know what happened? She ended up making an A anyway, just on her own work, whether the teacher would have given her an A or not. It actually affected her whole career even later down the road. And the point of that is you and I, because Christianity is about God's grace, not about our works. It's about the work of Jesus applied to us. It's about his righteousness. It's applied to us. When you and I begin a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, it's not about us being good enough for God. It's about the fact that we can't be, which is why God came here and he died on the cross for our sin, not only to be forgiven so we could be forgiven, the guilt of our sin removed. But the Bible says that his righteousness is applied to our account. It's like if our life was a spiritual bank account, we're bankrupt. But we, when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's why we could be called holy people. We've been given everything. We already have the A. There's nothing more to work for. And therefore, we can live in the enjoyment of that rather than trying to get what we already have. Another way to say that is it's the uh, it's the death of conditionality. Christianity. Conditionality, right? You perform and you make the grade. You perform, you have a certain relationship with God. Most of life is conditional. Most relationships are conditional. Even people that you love and love you, right? There's conditionality attached. If, if you want them to love you fully, then you've got to perform, right? And if you do certain things or whatever, then they'll love you and all that. But most people, human beings don't love. We're supposed to love unconditionally because that's the way God loves us. But that doesn't happen very often. Except that's the way God loves. That's the way he's arranged Christianity. I mean, literally, the pressure's off. There's nothing you and I can do to make God love you more or make God love you less, to earn more of God's favor, to make him more pleased with you. I know it sounds it may sound nuts, but 
but because everything that we want, he's given us. That's what Second Peter says. He's given us everything, everything there is to get. We have in Jesus, not because of our righteousness, but because of his. Now, if you really think about that pressure off, then that's a big deal. That's why you'd say, man, I can live in joyful thanks to the father because there's no burden here. There's no sweat here. There's no pressure here. And one of the ways that I know I'm slipping back into religion and away from Christianity, a a relationship with God based on his grace, not my works, not my performance, an unconditional relationship with God is when I lose joy. And my life feels like a burden. Christianity feels like a burden, not a rest, not a joy. And here's some symptoms of that. And you may be experiencing some of them. Now, one of those symptoms, if you don't feel like you're very good at being good, is shame. Right? Where and, and shame is different than being convicted about sin. Like, I'm not saying that sin is a good thing to do. Because it's not. It makes our life really complicated. Sin has consequences. God wants us to live better. He doesn't want us to do our stupid stuff. And when we do stupid stuff, it's going to show up in our life in hard ways. And God, God will help us through that. However, that doesn't affect our standing with God. It impacts our life, but it doesn't impact our standing. So when we are sinful, grace means that we can come to God in our sin. And he is waiting for us with open arms to provide forgiveness and healing and help. Shame is the opposite of that. Like in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, shame makes us think, man, I'm a screw up. I've really blown it big and I've got to get my life together before I can go to God. Shame keeps us away from God. It makes us hide from God. Um, it, it makes us think God hates us. And some of you think that think like God hates me or he's so mad at me. Like I've got to I've got to do some things to kind of make up for my bad and all that. That's not Christianity. That's not God. I want you to picture God like this. who just says, OK, I know you're sinful. I know what you've done and I love you. Come here. I'll help you do better. I'll transform your life. But come. Shame is a symptom. It's certainly not. It's not joy. Or pressure. I'll, I'll use this word perfectionism. Um, some of you are know that you don't measure up. And it doesn't bother you at all. Some of you know you don't measure up and it bothers you a lot because you're perfectionistic and and you want to be the perfect mom. You want to be the perfect dad. You want to be the perfect Christian. You want to be the perfect whatever. And and you and you know, you don't measure up. And so you're just under this constant pressure to do better, better, better so that God will love you more. Again, that's not Christianity. That's conditionality. That's religion. And in, in, in the grace of the gospel, the good news of the gospel means pressure is pressure's off. Now, if you perform well, then a couple of options are here. Sorry, my notes are a little messed up. If you perform well, there's a couple of things that can happen. Uh, one is pride, which is also the opposite of joy, right? If you, because uh, if you're doing well, then you think, well, Okay, I'm, I'm, you know, you've become a Christian, let's say, and you start getting your life together. And then you can look at people back in line who are not so doing so well. You know, you're kind of more of a screw up than you are. And you're kind of getting your life together. And you think, man, they struggle with this. Why can't they get their act together? Why can't they do that? That kind of pride Uh, in the Old Testament. uh, It's called haughtiness where you look down your nose at other people because they're, they're not performing very well. And you're feeling pretty good about yourself. 
And, and the thing about that is that there's a, there's a proverb that says there's seven things, of all the things God could hate, there are seven things that are the biggest. Like his top seven. Two of them are pride and the other one is haughtiness. Meaning from God's perspective, he would rather you kick a puppy, look at porn, be mean to somebody, than to look down your nose at somebody as if you're better than them with haughty eyes. He hates that. He hates the other stuff too, but he hates that. Because it robs us of joy and it's the opposite of reality because we're all just a bunch of screw ups that God loves. We're all in the same boat. The other thing that can happen is disillusionment with God, where you feel like, man, I'm performing, but God's not performing. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm good at being good. Like, I'm doing it. And how can that happen to me? How could God allow me to experience that? And we get disillusioned with God because we think it's conditional, that God's work in our life is is dependent on us. And if we're doing well and God's not rewarding us with good stuff if we lose our job or we lose something or whatever then we get mad at god because of conditionality and that's no way to live that's not joy see the the wonderful reality of the gospel the good news of jesus is not that he came to bring another religion with a list of demands to make us acceptable to god and to keep us acceptable to god that's a burden Christianity is that Jesus came here to establish a way for us not only to begin a relationship with God by grace, not by works, but to live our whole Christian life that way. I mean, you and I are going to get to heaven one day, if you know Jesus, right, get to heaven one day. And I think there'll be a lot of this discussion. Like you'll see people and be like, I mean, people will be looking at me or you and be like, <laughs> you're here. <laughs> wow. I didn't expect that. And you're like, what do you mean? You're like, and you're like, well, you know, and I'm like, hey, me too. Like, I don't deserve to be here. I shouldn't be here, but I am. And, and here's what happened. Man, I was a mess and I had nothing to offer God. I mean, you know my life. And, and God just reached out to me and, and, and I understood that he wanted to save me from myself and save me from my sin. And he accepted me as I was. And over time, I did get better. He actually began to transform and change my life. But I was still a mess, you know, the day I came up here. But isn't it cool to see? I mean, because all of us are in the same boat, right? We're just, all a, we're just all a bunch of messes that God loves. And here we are for all eternity. That, that's the good news of the gospel. And when we find ourselves slipping away from that, and we will, because living in grace... Living out of religion and, and in the joy of what Jesus wants for us is really unnatural because it doesn't make sense. Like what's fair is conditionality. Unconditionality isn't fair. And therefore, I'm going to ask us to, we're going to go to God in prayer. If our Christian life has become more about oi than joy, to ask God to help us out a lot. And there's a prayer in the book of Ephesians that I'm going to put up on screen and going to read, and then we're all going to pray. And, and it's, it's Paul who's been talking about this in Ephesians, everything I've just said, and he knows how hard it is to get this. He knows how easily we'll slip away from this. Um, and my guess is some high percentage of people listening right now are in that category because we all just will naturally magnetize, will magnetize away from grace 
into works, into conditionality, into religion, away from the grace of God and the joy that that brings, the lack of burden that brings, he wants for us. And here's what Paul prayed. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Now, this is power not to do something, but to understand something. Because what we're talking about is so hard to understand. This is a different kind of sermon than I normally do. Because usually there's like something practical to do. This is about what we grasp. This is about what we understand. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that is bigger than we can understand. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The only way you and I will know the joy that God wants for us is if God supernaturally enables us to get it. To understand he loves us without condition. That you and I have everything we could possibly get. You and I already have the A. And therefore, rather than living in the constant pressure to keep it or to get it, we can actually just live in the enjoyment of it. So I'm going to invite us to wherever you are right now, just to, unless you're driving, podcasting, just close your eyes. Just help us focus in prayer. And for those of you who maybe are trying to be good enough for God and, and, and you, you think, man, I, I, you know, I, I do the best I can and I know I've done bad stuff, but I'm trying to do good enough good that maybe when I get to heaven, there'll be these scales, you know, and I'll, my good stuff will be better than my bad stuff. And they'll be like, oh, OK, come on in. That's not it. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus came to bring. Because the truth is, the Bible says all of our goodness isn't worth anything anyway. All of our righteousness is not not that big of a deal. Jesus came because to save us, because we rescue us, because we couldn't make up for our evil, make up for our bad. And therefore, beginning a relationship with God is not trying to be good enough for God. It's realizing we can't and that Jesus came to take the penalty that you and I deserve. But not only that, not just to wipe away the guilt of sin, but also to apply his righteousness to our life so that when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see sinful people. He sees righteous, holy people, not because of our righteousness, but because the righteousness of Jesus, it's been applied to us. It's like we're billionaires, even though we have nothing of our own because his account has been applied to us. And that changes everything. And so... If you want to begin a relationship with God, it's simply acknowledging that and saying, God, I say yes to your gift. It's not about my works. It's about your grace. I say yes. And all the pressure I feel, and all the shame I feel, God, would you rescue me from that? Rescue me from that pressure and just help me live in the awareness of your grace and begin to change me and transform me. Help me live better. And that's what it means to begin a relationship with God. But understand for those of us who have begun a relationship with God, that grace isn't just about how you get in. It's about how we live the Christian life. That's the good news of the gospel. And to say, God, would you help me get it? Would you help me live not in pressure of religion, not in the burden of religion, but in the joy that comes knowing that it's all about your grace. And there's nothing I can do to change my relationship with you once I begin it. And I can just live in the enjoyment of it. And I can walk with you without burden 
but with joy. Father, thank you for that incredible reality. And help us live in the joy, not the burden. In Jesus' name, amen.